Hello there, welcome to episode four of True Cult Pop. It's a podcast about music. That's what it is. It is. Can't <laughs> argue. You can't argue with that. It's a very simple premise. It's about <laughs> music. Really, really simple. Hope you're well. My name's Stephen Hill, and joining me this week, as ever, the uh, Eduardo Saverin to my Mark Zuckerberg, <laughs> it's Sam Slight. Did you get that reference, Sam? You got that one? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I got that one. Yeah. Have you? It's, Don't it's, lie. It's you so, can't the lie. The social network, innit? The social yeah, network. Yeah, yeah, well, it's suppose, Facebook. It's a real life. I suppose that makes me Andrew Garfield, which I'm quite happy about. And that makes me Jesse Eisenberg. Which yeah, is which not. you shouldn't be happy about. You're like Jesse not Eisenberg as, as Lex Luthor, though. But a bit, it is an app comparison. A bit, bit more muscular, because, I think. Well, thank you. That's I appreciate right. that. Uh, it is an app comparison because, obviously, I pay you... Far less money, don't I? <laughs> I get I get the minority cut. I get one percent of the royalties if I'm if I'm good. Yeah, we'll settle out of court. At some point, <laughs> I'm sure. Um, good. Anyway, on the show this week, yeah. it's the most one-hit wonderful time of the year. Oh, brilliant! Because we're going to be talking about some one-hit wonders. We've picked three one-hit wonder artists. We're just going to be talking about them. Plus, we're going to be chatting about Beyonce. We're going to be chatting about Eurovision. Uh, we're going to be talking about a new release from High Viz, and we've picked some songs that are in our head as well. Basically, it is going to be a slightly shorter show because as you listen to this, I'm in Greece on holiday. I haven't been on holiday since 2017, and I can tell you right now, I'm having a nice time as you listen to this. I'm having a nice time. I will happily field any uh, tweets directed at Steve asking if he's having a nice mm-hmm. time and let you know if that is actually the case. So I... I will be having a trust me I'm either having a nice time or I'm dead <laughs> which would be the because ultimate I'm not relief. having a nice time I yeah I'm gonna jump off of uh, go on pyramids yeah <laughs> <laughs> that that sphinx they've got over there in Crete yeah yeah <laughs> I forgot what the thing's called I'm gonna, uh, no fuck it I'll make the trip yeah if I'm having a bad time, I go fuck. I'm going to Egypt. I'm going to jump off the pyramids. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> so I'm that. I'm that convinced. I'm going to be having a nice time. And I hope you uh, do as well. I will be. I'll be having a nice time as we speak. Uh, before we go any further, I'm just going to shout you in the direction of our Patreon page. Go to patreon.com forward slash True Cult Pop with all the V's in the right place, places. That's T R V E C V L T P O P. Didn't think this through when I named this podcast. So I'd have to sort of spell it out for people every single week brilliant um but yeah over there you can sign up for uh for our various tiers and give us a little bit of money if you so wish obviously sam will be getting 0.3 percent i believe we've your share price went down to yeah i believe so i think after quasi's mini budget i'm probably getting about yeah maybe 1.12 to the dollar yeah justin timberlake's getting all of sam's money now ha that's it's a social network uh call back again i mean Great. totally fair he, he deserves it he's done more for mm-hmm. the world than i ever could <laughs> I mean, it's true of both of us to be fair oh, yeah. uh this week we have a your cult pop which is where you can choose an album i'll suggest an album and sam and i will uh, run the rule over said album or anything really you can pick a film you can pick a book you can pick a live show you can just suggest whatever you want we're probably going to mainly do albums though to be perfectly honest we spoke about it won't be like this all the time by the twilight sad which is a really really good record and i managed to get cure tickets Oh, they managed to get a cure ticket. Legend. That's the Twilight Sad is supporting the cure. So I'll be seeing that two for one profit on that. Profit on that. Not you, really a profit. Your eye- on that really because I spent money, but you know. Well, you know, your eyeliner is going to be a state by the end of it. That's going to be a miserable night, but but a happy one. 
yeah exactly so i i, I went to say something and i took a swig of coffee which i shouldn't really have done uh, and uh, totally I'm way my fault. too no i'm way too lazy to edit it out as well because like i say i'm going on holiday tomorrow can't be bothered with this um so yeah sign up over there and you can suggest an album we also did this week put out our classic album on De La Soul's Three Feet High and Rising, which was great. I thought I really enjoyed going through that record, picking the bones out of that. It was a fun time, wasn't it, Sam? Although you were, you know, didn't want to have that much. You tried your best not to have any fun while we were doing it, but even you had a little bit of fun mm. during that as well, didn't you? Even through this grim veneer of misery, sometimes a little bit of light can cut through. And Della Soul did it, you know. Well, mm. fair play to him. It was really fun chat, though. I, I, I imagine everyone signed up to that tier of the Patreon will have a lovely time listening to us talk about um, what is undeniably a a classic album. Yeah, classic. absolute classic. Three yeah. feet high and rising. Brilliant, brilliant record. Five pound a month, you get two of them. You got Della Soul, and then the next one will be coming a fortnight after that. We're doing a Scum by Napalm Death. So you know, how's that for range? Yeah, take that. Well, and we have Pre- done take that quite recently as well. So that's good yeah, we know. have done take that recently. Yeah, so you go over and sign up. Patreon.com forward slash True Cult Pop, as I spelled it just a minute ago. Um, before we get into all the stuff. What's been stuck in your head this week, Sam? Stuck in my head this week, a song that at one point was probably my favourite song by this particular artist until I realised that they just don't have a bad second of recorded music in existence is Facet Squared by Fugazi, the opening track from 1993's In On The Kill Taker. Mm, Mm. What a fucking band. My God, I love Fugazi. Uh, The third Fugazi album? Well, yes, I suppose. I mean, yeah, it depends if you count 13 songs as an album rather than two EPs smushed together. So I guess it's what you should count it as. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. The second Fugazi album, then. It's the third. Is it? Which one? I forget. Oh, I I thought you were saying 13 songs you're counting as the two EPs smushed together rather than an album. Yeah, I am. Which one am I Peter? Yeah. Repeat a steady diet. Oh, steady diet. Nothing, of course. Yes, it is the third, not the fourth. Fuck this up, fuck this up royally. But Fugazi (laughs) are one of the best bands of all time. Probably, probably got the best um, back catalogue for pure consistency. As I say, not a bad second put to tape from Fugazi. And Facet Squared is definitely one of one of the highlights in a a crop of nothing but highlights. Um, There is no chaff to separate from this wheat. No, I I love Fugazi. They literally are an absolutely perfect band i think i've said it before there aren't many bands who get more than sort of you, you can be a band with like three albums mm. and go oh, everything they ever did was brilliant but it's so rare to be a band who've got like seven oh, let's cook all 30 like seven albums yeah or six and 13 square and 13 songs as well and just everything 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 be absolutely brilliant but fugazi are one of those bands and i think that in on the kill taker for me represents a significant jump in not even in quality but in scope for fugazi and i think facet squared is a really good example of what i mean because most of the stuff they did before was that kind of sort of funky dub heavy Mm. hardcore thing and then Facet Square comes in, and it's just a bit weirder. That kind of guitar part, and Ian Mackay doing something a bit more than just pure shout-along hooks. Mm. 
wicked. It's superb. Um, I mean, yeah, it starts with that, you know, that kind of glitching guitar just feeding back and reverberating, and then you get the little tease of the riff that kicks into the, the huge chord, that... Those triplets as well. Um, it's abrasive as anything, and yet it's so easy to get on with i think there there are massive hooks across this song and it's a short song you know it's less than two and a half minutes as i recall um but two minutes 42 oh two minutes 42 my apologies i underestimated it because it just goes by in such a blur of just absolute elation it's brilliant and the lyrics on it in particular i think it's so barbed and so pointed and Mackay absolutely sees it i mean particularly that final verse you know it's not the worth it's the investment that keeps us all tied up in these strings we draw lines and stand behind them that's why flags are such ugly things yeah i mean yeah. that that oh as a just kind of pointed barbed expression not quite as succinct doesn't carry as much kind of weight of human history in it but i i put that on the podium not far away from something like Down Rodeo for myself. I think that is just such a perfect encapsulation of punk, just ire uh, at the man trying to keep us in a box. But it's so much more than that because it's not Fugazi being kind of juvenile punk delinquents, which, you know, Ian Mackay has never been. He's always been a very considered and well-spoken and eloquent musician, artist, activist, etc. And Facet Square just represents a short, sharp blast of them being the best fucking band. I think they are. Yeah, mm. I think they're one of the just, I mean... They're up there. One of the best bands in the history of music, mm. full stop. I cannot believe that anyone would listen to Fugazi and go, this is rubbish. Do you <laughs> know what I mean? Like, I mean, I suppose it depends what you're into because, you know, first time I heard them, I was like, oh, I don't really know what this is. But mm. I was not familiar with anything that is like them at all like the thing they've been so influential and the thing that they've done has become you know massive and then sort of gone back underground again and like yeah everything for you guys have ever done is amazing where would you place since we're talking about it mm. um i mean there's loads of good songs on this record there's loads of good this is not one of my favorite like considering i say everything is brilliant it's actually not it wouldn't be super high on my list of the best Fugazi records, particularly. Even oh, they've got stuff okay. like Cassavetes, I think is, mm. that's my favourite song, and it's wicked. I think that's absolutely brilliant, that song. But, um, yeah, I'm looking at the tr track list in here, and it is really, really good. It's mad to think that this is probably wouldn't make my top three favourite Fugazi records. But, um, yeah, what? where would you place this in their discography? <sighs> I probably would have it third. Um, the argument, Would you? the argument being the top, you know, the absolute apex. Yeah, it's, uh, um, it's number one, yeah. Then in second, I probably have Red Medicine, and then this just mm. after it. Yeah. Ah, right. That would be my top two as well. Oh, how in sync it would. Yeah, it would. Yeah, probably why we I get think on. I'd, similar. Probably right. Similar, isn't it? Uh, I probably have repeater third then. Oh, yeah, I'd have repeater under this personally. I think I get more enjoyment out of the. I think the the breadth and how it can go from so you know you got the opening two tracks particularly facet squared being this absolute blast of just fury and then you get gpio taking the song for the next one and then you get returning the screw and i think the the the, the up and down and ebb and flow of dynamic interplay just puts it above repeater which does do all those things well i just feel like in on the kill taker does it in a little bit more of an extreme way yeah i think repeater is just above this purely because i think it just is so it's probably the most instantaneous Fugazi record, I would say. And I love yeah. that about it. I think everything on it is really kind of like, there it is. Mm, mm. Here we are. Here we go. And if you do count 13 songs, 
and I don't really, but I'm willing to kind of put it in the conversation just because I think it's such a massively iconic record. Mm. I think that would be quite high up as well. Um, yeah, it's weird. I always thought kind of in on the Kill Taker, I love. I mean, Steady Diet and Nothing, in on the Kill Taker and End Hits are the three that I am less. Uh, they're they're definitely my least favorite three. Yeah, and there is there is I think End Hits is. End hits would be Always. my bottom of the pile for Fugazi, mm. personally. Yeah, yeah, and even though I've grown to really, really like that record mm. over the years as well, but yeah, I kind of switch between In the Kill Taker and Steady Diet of Nothing. No, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I mean, but as of today, I think having listened to Facet Squared um, a couple of times recently, I am like, oh, mm. I listen to Fugazi for a little while. It's like a treat, isn't it? It's like a treat. It's like going to an expensive restaurant on your birthday, listening to Fugazi for me. It really is. I mean, I think for me, that those kind of treat bands, uh, I think the other one who, for me, would be one of the only other bands who have just a perfect discography would be Dillinger Escape Plan. And I don't listen to either of them mm. super often. And when I do, it's generally like, right, I'm going to take today and listen to the discography from start to finish and just really immerse myself and love it. But Facet Squared as a song is... It's one of the ones that's always in my head, just like um, Cash Out from the argument and the title track of Repeater as well. Mainly because they've got Joe Lally's fucking brilliant bass on it. That's the one thing Facet Squared doesn't have. doesn't have Joe Lally's bass front and centre. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Well, I mean, that is, that is a hell of a bass tone, isn't it? He's fucking brilliant. They all are. All four minute. of them. I thought you meant Joe, Joe Nally. Joe Nally. From Earn. Yes, no, it's not him. No, and no, I do no, not him. I do almost get their names confused quite often because they are <laughs> basically the same name. And they both play bass. Mm. Terrible. Yeah. So um, anyway, good. Yeah, Fugazi. <laughs> if you've never listened to Fugazi before, I mean, come on. Come on. Don't make me come down there. <laughs> come up there, wherever you are. Wherever. Yeah. Uh, and, and sit you down and stare you in. I would happily go to anyone's house. And sit them down with the entire Fugazi yeah. back catalogue and make them sit there and listen to it and watch them listening to it and go, come on. Uh, yeah. Come on. Tell everyone how good this is. <sighs> it's not what I've been listening to today, Sam. Do no. you know what stuck in my head? Go on. Hit me with it. The, the New England by Kid Capici featuring Bob Dylan. Are you aware of this band? Are you aware of this song? Bob Dylan? Bob Villain, sorry. No. Bob Dylan. He's not going to be happy not about Bob that. Dylan. <laughs> no, no. Sorry. Not Bob Dylan. Bob Villain. Yes. I should have said that. I don't know what, what ever could have made me get those two mixed up. They're not the same in any way whatsoever. No, I mean, that's, I, I think me getting Joe Nally and Joe Lally confused is a lot more acceptable than Bob Villain and Mr. Dylan himself. Mm. Yes. Yeah, sorry about that. Sorry. It is the op- it's the opening track on the Hastings-based punk rock band's second album, Here's What You Could Have Won, which came out a couple of weeks ago. Now, I have to confess, I've not listened to that record. I don't know loads about Kid Capici, but I was watching, for my sins, Kerrang! TV mm. uh, earlier this year. Right at the very start of this year, I was just like, I've got Kerrang! TV. Occasionally, I would put music television on, just for fun. For the lols. Do you know what I mean? Just, to, just for the lols. And, uh, and this came on, and I was like, oh, it was on quite late at night. And I was like, oh, what's this? And I saw Bob Villain. Um on it who's obviously i was aware of his work i was like is this bob villain oh, somebody called kid capici don't know who they are and i just thought it was uh it was really good just thought it was really really good it's kind of the opposite of what you were saying just a minute ago about um ian mckay not being just a kind of uh ranty punk person mm. because this ultimately is just going like fucking england shit isn't it what yeah. a shithole um 
you know bob the builder postman pat mm. it's got quite a lot of uh you know amusing little asides about english culture and it's ultimately you know like um don't care about the social classes but i'll cast my vote regardless uh it is basically them showing their frustration at uh, i guess kind of little england stroke middle england not really paying much attention to what's going on in the country mm. and yet bigging up how great a country we are and yet also voting for people who don't really care about the well-being of the majority of, of people, those people who are voting for them yes um and i think that's a pretty cool thing to write a song about i think it's an interesting thing to write a song about it is a big riffy banger mm -hmm. what do you think of this song yeah i i really like this song actually um i think it really excels in its choruses and it's got kind of two chorus hooks you know there's that is it you can't change or that you won't change i think that's mm. that's pretty hard that's good, yeah. like, i like that and then the main chorus of you're such a fool britannia at uh, britannia britannia fooled again it's great it's massive i could definitely see myself if i were to go and see kid capiche i mean i mean even if i didn't know this song by the end you'd be you'd be belting along with that wouldn't you and the sentiment of it is it's got that sneering swaggering punk rock attitude that i think is cool and i like that yeah the distorted groove that underpins it all it's decent I do think the verses stray a little bit too close to kind of daft sort of, um, I guess, kind Sleep of... Sleeper mods. Yeah, sneering people's poetry kind of thing. I mean, as you say, Bob the Builder, Postman Pat. Something about that particular cadence of that little couplet there. Ooh. I mean, no one... Believe me, I am more unhappy than you will be and Kid Capici will be to hear this. But it made me think... In terms of its cadence, it, get, it had the dubious honour of reminding me of the Curry song by Massive Wagons, which I fucking hate. But there's something about the delivery of that Bob the Builder, Postman Pat, etc. It's like it's like that song, and um, couldn't help but not think of it. But this song is obviously way better than anything Massive Wagons will ever do in their pathetic lives. I've never really, I've still never listened to Massive Wagons. Oh, people going, oh they're a bit like Terrorvision. So I, I can't comment on that at all. I do think. It is done in a real like kind of nudge, nudge, wink, wink it kind is. of way, yeah. which I actually don't have a problem with. I think that serves the song quite well, to be perfectly honest. But, I, you know, I don't have a problem with it per se. I think at first I was a bit taken back. I was like, oh, are you kind of taking the piss out of people who write these songs in earnest? It's like, oh, no, no, there is solidarity to it. And I think it's just delivered in a sort of slightly um, snot nosed way, which I think does work for it. Um I actually think, in some ways, it's quite a good counterpart to your pick for last week in Ebenezer Good, in that it's a bit of a kind of send-up of all the things that are great about working-class culture, but also quite critical of those things as well in a, a pointed mm. manner. Yeah, I like this song. I like it a lot more than I expected to. Yeah, I think it's really good. I think Bob Villain comes in, not Bob Dylan, Bob Villain comes in and does a good verse towards yeah. the end as well. He does. And, uh, and uh, yeah, it's really good. I think the riff is really cool. That boom, 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 boom riff when it goes, welcome to the new world, the new England. Yeah, I mean, look, yeah, yeah. you know, it's um, ever since the streets came along, that kind of uh, street level poetry kind of take on being able to sound very very british mm. in punk or grime or hip-hop or like indie or whatever has become more and more prevalent to the point where i can see how someone like you would see it and go are they just sort of 
doing that because there are bands from that, that i don't like like you know again I, i'm gonna listen to i didn't even realize this album was out so i am gonna listen to mm. kid capiche because i just suddenly thought about it and i was like i'm gonna whack that song on because that is a great song and they supported liam gallagher at the royal albert hall and i fucking missed them i fucking missed kid capiche and i really wanted to see them and they did this song bob villain came on with them at the royal albert hall wow. and did this song. And i was really really um wanted to see that but um when you go out with someone who cannot get ready <laughs> in time for anything ever, it becomes. Look, I don't want to do a does, like does a Michael McIntyre yeah, yeah. stand up skit where it's like, oh, what? I can't girls get ready on time. We've but, all done it. Uh, well, we've all, yeah, I'm there. Who am I, Eric Clapton? Yeah, you look wonderful tonight. Come on, let's go. Do you know what I mean? I don't want to do that. But um, the reason why hack stand up comedians do that material is because, unfortunately, people like me live life yeah. yeah so i missed kicker peachy but it's a great song it's a great song it is a great song it would have been really good i'm sorry you missed it, it but hey next time mate really good. next time invite you yeah. you can get ready on time yeah that'd be nice yeah, yeah. i i can get right, ready quickly mate so speaking of um so we had a bit of a do you know like very nice of you all to listen to the show and uh do feel free to get in touch with the show or if you're on, on twitter it's at true cult pop as it's, i've already spelled i'm not spelling it for you again i'm not spelling it for you, you do again. have to spell it out for people though steve that that is <laughs> your curse i know yeah it is really a silly thing but uh if you want to get in touch and talk about anything that happened during the show that you've just heard then we will try and reference it we had tape watch didn't we for a couple of weeks you bought a tape didn't you you went to see that power violence band you bought a tape i didn't buy it but i did give my mate a fiver so he could buy it because he was a bit short on cash and i was like oh go on treat yourself i just got a shirt but yeah i did send you the picture of the tapes because they're still out there they're knocking about yeah, mate. you can still find them <laughs> you can still find them yes oh <laughs> uh, good last week when we were talking about ebenezer good mm. we also I mentioned spliffy jeans. You did, right? yes. And a few people went, oh, spliffy jeans. Oh, I remember that. Brilliant, yeah. So that became the next thing that we talked about. We recommended some pretty good music last week, and none of you bothered with that. You just talked to us about spliffy <laughs> jeans. Andy Dickens uh, emailed me and said, talking about nighties clothing that promotes drugs and changes colour, next week I want a slot on naff-naff jackets and the underground kickers shoe-tagging uh, shoe tag trading, please. And then he's done a little uh, prey sign. Does that mean anything to you at all, Sam? No, I'm going to look up naff naff jackets right now. Naff naff jackets. Never I, heard of that. Uh, shame on me as a committed 90s file for not mentioning <laughs> naff naff jackets alongside the kickers and the spliffy jeans and the global hypercolor t-shirt and the jacket which Sam has just googled and is pulling a face I'm like shaking my head vigorously disgusting fart yeah they were <laughs> i so i never had that i never i never had a nap enough jacket yeah yeah never yeah tell you what else people used to wear fruit of the loom t-shirts just fruit of the loom what just like the just what? the fruit of the loom and it would be the logo of fruit of the loom brilliant and that would be that was that was cool for a little bit was it are you sure the 90s have, were that good, Steve? They were good, actually. <laughs> You're undermining it almost every I'm week. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I am, but I'm not. <laughs> um, you had to be there. And also, Kickers shops. Do you remember Kickers? The shoes? Yeah. They had their own. They were big enough to have their own shop. Imagine that. They're oh, just nothing but Kickers in a shop. Truly, a whole shop. Truly a side like, of the end like, times. We're going to get like Nike shops now, or Nike, whatever you say, or Adidas. Like, oh, let's see Adidas. I'm going to go in the Nike store and get some Nike trainers. 
I'm going to go into Dr. Martin's shop. Kickers, their own shop. No, don't like it. <laughs> I don't. I, I refuse to acknowledge the existence of a kicker shop. It'd be like having a you Le Coq Sportif shop. <laughs> yeah, I know, ridiculous. And you not just get kickers shoes in there. You'd be able to get well shirts. Whoa, kickers shirt. Anything they else? were the Burberry <laughs> of their day. Were they? If Burberry was like what Burberry was about fifteen years ago. Yeah. Because that's gone away as well, isn't it? Yeah. Which I'm pretty glad about. Yeah, definitely. Speaking of things going away. So, yeah, you know, there's me. There's a segment on the show that we like to call <laughs> Explaining the 90s to Sam. To a young man, <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's basically become my life, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, little bit of news. Um, both excellent pieces of news, but mm. very, very different. Uh, Liverpool has been chosen to host Eurovision. So, Liverpool beat... Glasgow. Now I'm not sure if this is this came a couple of days after Liverpool beat Glasgow Rangers in the Champions League. Not sure if that had anything to do with it. I I would say almost certainly how they made the decision. Yeah, yeah. Thank God for that. Trent Alexander Arnold knocking that free kick in made a big old difference. But Liverpool has been chosen to host the first Eurovision Song Contest final to be held in the United Kingdom for 25 years. I love that the BBC has said the home of the Beatles. Frankie goes to Hollywood. And the Wombats. Yeah. <laughs> Why not Carcass? The best band from Liverpool. <laughs> yeah. Why have they picked the Wombats? <sighs> Surely they've got a better one than the Wombats. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, that is like, obviously in writing there is the rule of three, but sometimes it's worth breaking with convention. If that's the best you can do, just just do two. Yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah. It's like going, Los Angeles, <laughs> home of Van Halen, the Doors, and Il Nino. <laughs> like, no, no, you wouldn't do that. Um, yeah, so uh, Liverpool is going to be hosting it on the 13th of May next year, which is cool. Yeah. Um, my mate really wanted to go to that. He was like, see if you can get us tickets. I'm actually going to a wedding that day, so I can't go. Oh. And apparently every single hotel in Liverpool has already been booked up. And this is, as we speak, you know, it's been less than 24 hours mm. since this has been announced. I wouldn't say, so, yeah. you know. It doesn't surprise me because people bloody love Eurovision and rightly so. People, it's good fun. People do love people do love Eurovision. Um, uh, yeah, uh, so I mean that's happening. We will probably cover that. Might get the old guys from uh, the uh, Hellbent for Metal podcast coming on to talk about that when it happens. I think that's what we should do, shouldn't we? I think that sounds like a good idea. Yeah, that'd be good. That'd be lovely. Yeah. I li- I listened to it and um, Sonia was delighted. They interviewed Sonia. Do you remember? No, do you remember Sonia? She finished. I think it's like in the top 10 in Eurovision in 1993. <laughs> She's from Liverpool. No, I don't. I don't remember Sonia. Okay. No. no. Here we are. Part two of Explain 90s Things to Sam. Can we do Can we do the Rwanda massacre <laughs> next week? <laughs> That's it. Uh, there's no more explanation needed. Okay. Do you remember Sonia? No, fine. All right, fine. Move on. Does anyone? She was just a... Some people do. I, I do. Okay. I remember her. Yeah. She was like the British scouse Kylie Minogue. Wow. Put that on the poster. (laughs) Put that on the poster, definitely. Uh, Here's a headline which feels like it has been sort of injected into my brain via some sort of oddity serum. Beyonce calls Right Said Fred's copyright claim erroneous and false. The duo (laughs) called Beyonce arrogant this week, accusing her of not asking permission to use I'm Too Sexy on her latest album, Resistance. Mm Mm-hmm. So Beyonce, 
um resistance uh the song alien superstar on resistance has got a little bit of i'm too sexy in it no. have you listened to resistance by beyonce at all sam i listened to it the week that you and was it paul from Ames who you did it with yes mm-hmm. i listened to it the week that it was reviewed on on the show uh i i don't feel uh, i certainly haven't gone back to it and that's annoying because i really liked it for the most part when i listened to it um I don't recall that sample explicitly, I must say. It's very, very brief. Yeah. It's not even a sample, I don't think. I think she just uses the I'm too something for something. Do you know what I mean? No. Oh, it's not even a... What a yeah. callous, arrogant woman. Yeah. To, but right said yeah. Fred, that's Fred and Richard Fairbrass, the Fairbrass boys, uh, said, normally the artist approaches us, but Beyonce didn't because she is such an arrogant person. She just had probably thought, Come and get me. So we heard about it after the fact when you did it. But everyone else, Drake and Taylor Swift, they came to us. Mm. Beyonce did the they? What, Dra- one, didn't what Drake knocked on your door, did he? <laughs> Drake, you got a call one day from an unknown number, and you're like, "Oh, this is a call from America." Hello. Oh, hi. It's Taylor Swift. No, you mean the record label cleared the? Don't make out like Taylor Swift came round. Right, said Fred's house, cap in hand. <laughs> oh, can I borrow you? Can, I'm too sexy for my cat for my new album. I don't believe you. I don't believe that happened. And, and they've got the fucking nerve to say Beyonce's arrogant. Unbelievable. Um, uh, Beyonce said, these comments made by right, said Fred. <laughs> I love <laughs> Not by one of them. Just by, she doesn't even know that they are two different people. No. She thinks that they're the same. Just a mi- she thinks it's one bloke with a mirror. <laughs> just because <laughs> they deal at the same. A weird kind of, uh, I don't know, slightly kind of working class homunculus that had a pop hit. Yeah, yeah. The comments made by Wright said Fred, starting, stating that Beyonce used "I'm Too Sexy" and "Alien Superstar" without permission are erroneous and incredibly disparaging. Permission was not only granted for its use, but they publicly spoke of their gratitude for being on the album. For their song, there was no re- sound recording use. Only the composition was utilised. Permission was asked their publisher on the 11th of May 2002 and the publisher approved the use on the 15th of June 2002. The, they were paid for the usage in August 2002. Furthermore, the copyright percentage of Wright said Fred writers with respect to the use of I'm Too Sexy is a substantial portion of the composition. Collectively, the Wright said Fred writers own more than any other singular writer and have a co-writing credit. The accusation is false. So, you know, I mean, Khalees had a pop at Beyonce mm. on that album for using Milkshake. Yes. A little bit of a sample of Milkshake without her permission. And then they made a kind of, she was like, oh, sorry. Okay, let's not do that. And um, and it got changed. And she just went, yeah, sorry about that. So it doesn't seem to me... Like Beyonce is arrogant. No. I mean, we just spent two hours talking about De La Soul's Three Feet High and Rising, a record which, you know, has got a lot of samples and one of them forgot to get cleared and it ended up being a total nightmare for the band, which means that the album is still not on streaming services this very day. So I think the last thing Beyonce wants to do is have that happen. She doesn't want that to happen. What are you on about, right, said Fred? You idiots. Just pricks, aren't they? They just seem like they're absolute just, tossers. They just come along, come, come along, come across like absolute bellends. Yeah. Two... Don't believe it, mate. Bellends who are not, in fact, too sexy for their shirts. 
Keep them on. I mean, you should be getting down on your bloody knees and kissing Beyonce's feet for using your... Like, let's be real about it. Abysmal song. Yeah. I'm Too Sexy is terrible. And yet, people still at least acknowledge it. I mean, they're morons. Absolute morons. Shut up, right, says Fred. Shut up. Go away. Just the worst. Go, go and attend one of your far right, said Fred, rallies or whatever, <laughs> you pricks. Yeah. Fucking, oh, oh, just the worst. Awful, awful, awful twats. <laughs> um, anyway, we don't have many records. So that's what we think. Uh, <laughs> that's that's outstanding. That's our review of right, said Fred's career. <laughs> awful, awful, awful twats. Yeah. Uh, before we get into the main thing we're going to do on the podcast today, um... The one was one album that I wanted to talk about, Blending by High Viz, which is the second studio album from the London-based indie rock band, the follow-up to No Sense, No Feeling from 2019. Uh, a lot of people had sort of said to me, you know, this is a band that you will really like, and this is a band that you should check out. And I think the record actually has been, it's been out for a little while now. It came out on the 9th of September, so it's been, you know, over a month since uh, since this came out. But I finally got round to giving it a spin the other day, and I absolutely love this record, Sam. I thought I absolutely love it. Thought you would. This is a bit of you, isn't it? This is this is two of the the many sides of the Stephen Hill coin, I think, because it's basically the best of kind of eighties discord by way of late nineties, early noughties, Madchester. It's fucking brilliant, isn't it? Hmm. That's exactly what I think it is. Exactly what I think it is. The opening song immediately sounds like classic. Manchester, Hacienda, Factory Records, danceable indie with these really massive, big, cool sways of dreamy guitar. Mm. And then this sort of proper, almost like an angry Sean Ryder snarled indie drawl. Really, really great. But then, they say, 0151, I think that's how I'm going to say it, yeah. does have that Discord Records for We've just been talking about Fugazi. Mm. And it has that kind of, you know fractured jangling uh harsh sounding bite that those discord bands had with that kind of 1980s indie really 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 good and throughout it all of it out cold very punky very instantaneous very 90s sounding um the opening of the title track for me sounded something like blind melon and then goes into this massive stone rosesy shoegaze thing trauma bond sounds like a post-hardcore song done by teenage fan club which is i probably one of my favorite songs on the album love this absolutely love this it is wicked and i think it actually works um and this wasn't intended i think it works really well as kind of a, a kind of good halfway house between the two songs that we've brought in as being stuck in our heads because it has got that kind of <laughs> yeah. sneering kind of street level um you know punk kind of talking about the realities of being working class in the united kingdom at the moment but then it's done with that intellectual nous that you would get from an ian mckay i mean on 0151 there's the line we're destitute and we're demoralized or suffering disguised as pride and it's like it's such a barbed sentiment that's delivered furiously by graham sale on that song in particular that's the song where i think he's closest to a quote-unquote punk singer as someone would kind of caricature them um talk for hours as an aside um also starts it's got that kind of bleeping guitar and it's like oh facet squared again brilliant it has that yeah, kind yeah. of reverberating guitar echoing through the beginning of it i think it's awesome um and yeah i mean 
I think it pulls from a lot of things I'm not super familiar with, as we talked about on the Pulp Classic album a little while ago. Um, the kind of Britpop, stroke Brit rock era is not something I've really lined myself with massively. But I hear a lot of kind of Johnny Marisms in the guitars, those big shimmering chords that you say Definitely. as you hear on Talk for Hours. Um, Stone Roses, definitely, I hear in, in the title track in particular. Um, and it made me think, isn't it brilliant that there are these bands who've kind of started in the hardcore underground? Because it seems like High Viz are getting a fair bit of groundswell and a lot of buzz around them. And I think more than deservedly so on this album, because it is absolutely fucking brilliant. Um, but blend, when we get to the title track halfway through the album, or just before halfway through, I was thinking, isn't it cool how, like, Turnstile, they were bringing in sort of funk and, like, samba and Latin pop to their hardcore kind of you know their hardcore building block and then high vis are doing the same but they're doing it with 80s and 90s and noughties post-punk particularly from manchester and you know i think there's there's a bit of pill on some of the you know more aggressive songs like out cold i hear a bit of public in image limited he's like he's like yeah. johnny Mar johnny Mar uh johnny rotten but not a bell ends this graham sale he seems brilliant um and that's <laughs> that track's only two two minutes 16 seconds as well it's a curt blast of just bile wrapped in so much mm. melody it's awesome i think for me the highlight might well be the final track actually shame i think it's got that yeah, it's amazing that just downtrodden anthem really that you want from a band like this who are aping those those bands who in the uk would go on to be stadium fillers you know like oasis obviously being a big one i think there's a lot of gallagherism in his vocals but for me it separates itself from the gallagher brothers because it doesn't it doesn't feel like it harbors any arrogance but it's still got that ambition to it and I think that song, it's at once kind of morose and jubilant. And he's really restrained on that song as well. I think he shows a different side of him than we hear throughout the rest of the album, which is a bit more bombastic in relative terms and snarling. Much more pared back. And um, I think it's a great way to end the album. To me, put me in mind of the end of Different Class, where it's the kind of the come down after the fury of the night out kind of thing. Yeah, I think I think yeah. this album's wicked. Yeah, it's nine songs as well. It's not a long record at all. No. You know, the songs aren't short per se, apart from Out Cold. I mean, they're the usual length. I mean, I think Shame is the longest song on the album, which is five minutes and 19 seconds. You're mm. looking at like most of them clock in around the kind of four, four and a half minute mark, really, don't they? Um, but it's nine songs, so it goes by pretty quickly. It really does. Um, you mentioned Johnny Marr. I think John Squire is a huge influence on this record mm. i think the um vocals managed to sit somewhere between <sighs> like ian mcculloch from echo and the bunnymen and yeah maybe a bit of john lydon and uh, like i've said a sort of much angrier sean Ryder. Mm. uh but also you know i i, I was getting kind of mid-90s revelation records vibe from this which is when you know hardcore bands were putting out much more melodic stuff so text mm. is the reason i guess you'd call them emo now steady if you want somebody who's like emo oh god fucking fallout boy that's not what i mean <laughs> i mean that kind of early uh pre-commercial boom emo stuff from the 90s sense field text is the reason uh, jets to brazil all that kind of stuff um yeah there's a bit of that in it really really cool you know, it, it it just seems to reference loads and loads and loads of things that I really, really like. Yeah. You know, like I say, when you're going from the Stone Roses to Bauhaus to Echo and the Bunnymen to Sensefield to Fugazi to Teenage Fan Club to the Jesus and Mary Chain, like, that's 
just a load of stuff that I really, really like. Is it doing anything particularly new? In individually, not really. It's not really anything new in terms of the individual component parts that exist to create the entire sound of the record. But them being bled together in that way, I think Turnstile is not that's not actually a it's not actually a, a, a name that cropped up in my head, but I think you're quite right to bring that up because Turnstile have taken ultimately have taken hardcore and have turned it into a sort of Miami Vice soundtrack, <laughs> which is brilliant. Yeah. And High Viz have kind of taken hardcore and turned it into you know the Hacienda. Mm. Wicked. What a great idea. So yeah, I think this is an excellent, excellent record. Yes, I think um I mean, I can't imagine, I think there's so much crossover appeal. I can't imagine anyone who would be listening to the show who wouldn't really, really like it. And as you say, you know, it's it's less than 40 minutes. It's like, it's well worth your time. It's fucking super. Maybe one of those people who came here because they wanted to hear us reviewing Blackpink and went, I'll stick around for this. But I really just like K-pop. There's probably not a lot for you here if you are that person. But hey, thanks for sticking around because we haven't really spoken about K-pop since that first review on the first show and yet and yet here, here you, you are. still are yeah appreciate it it must be the magnetic personality of stephen hill and i'm here as well <laughs> <laughs> yeah and and bonjour she's eating her breakfast at the moment she's just over there so could be that as well well yes <gasps> oh it is you sam don't worry it's you here i am hey. it's me yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i was doing rolling rat then well yeah I just went into rolling rat good brilliant good yeah it's what you would have wanted uh, <laughs> it's what you would have wanted. R.I.P. Ronan Rat, wherever you are. <laughs> blending by High Viz. Let's do the fucking thing for the get this out of it. Yeah, High Viz blending. Go and listen to that. It's really good. Chances are you already have, but if you haven't, go and listen to them. Right. Um, we're going to talk about one hit wonders. I've picked three. Sam's picked three. Before we get into it, we just thought this was an interesting thing because the thing about a one hit wonder is is that often there's not. You know, we can't do an album of theirs on Your Cop Pop. We can't do a classic album on a one-hit wonder unless there are... I mean, there are people who say, we could do a classic album on Dexys Midnight Runners, but they're not a one-hit wonder. And I'm happy to have a physical fist fight with anyone who says they are. I, I don't mind doing that. But the thing is, is that it's not often a lot to talk about other than that massive song because it sort of defines what and who they are. So we wanted to kind of investigate some one hit wonders see if they stand up see what we think about them see what the interesting thing about them see why they connected in the way they did but before we do sam in your mind how do you define a one hit wonder because i don't think it's as simple as going oh they had one big hit the end no i mean it's it's a difficult one i think it is one hit how do you define a one hit wonder i mean beyond just oh that song did really well and they were never heard from again i think it's generally an artist who kind of comes out of the gates with a single that ends up defining the rest of their career to kind of diminishing results so my sort of i think the best way to explain it is with a band that i don't think fit into this talk so i remember before i got into them i remember people saying faith no more were a one-hit wonder i know i love that shit yeah. i always go which one of their many hits was the one hit that you're talking about exactly i mean obviously they mean epic but it's like well you're not listening to any of the other massive well, singles they mean that easy released. Well, I the people I have spoken or people I have heard say that generally are referring to Epic, and I usually just don't give them the time of day after that, so that's fine. But yeah, but that sort of proves it, doesn't it? Because yeah. they've picked their second biggest song as their one hit. Yeah, 
idiots, idiots. But I guess it is. Yeah, for me, a one-hit wonder would be someone who's, <laughs> I suppose, creative peak is their usually their debut single in in quite a lot of cases. Um, and uh, yeah, they kind of just try and chase that again, and the audience don't go with it. I suppose. Um, as I think I I can illustrate with my three examples. How would you define a one-hit wonder, though, Steve? I think it's somebody who has been defined by that single song, mm. right? So there are a couple of bands on here that we're going to talk about, or a couple of artists on here that they, it's not like they've only had one hit. It's not like they didn't have any other hits after it. Um, you know, people use Dexy's Midnight Runners for as another example of what, what isn't a one hit wonder and go, wow, you know, that is their biggest hit and they might have had other hits, but nobody really knows it. And I think, well, if you're having a number one album before your quote-unquote one-hit wonder, mm. if you've had a number one album and a number one single and multiple top ten hits, yeah. you know, at that point, you're opening up, like, our Soundgarden a one-hit wonder? Our Pulp? Our Pulp a one-hit wonder? Mm. Like, no, clearly not. They're not. Like, they might be defined in that one person's mind who doesn't know very much about them as an artist mm. as a one-hit wonder but i think there's more there's more to it than that if you really do struggle to go crikey what else did they do um i'm sure top loader had other hits i don't know what they are <laughs> i'm sure soil had had you know soil got metal hammer album of the year yeah in 2001 or whenever it was metal hammer single of the year fine yeah, yeah. with fucking halo Halo. Nah, but, but don't you, don't you, my little halo. <laughs> but you know, new metal bands were a great source of one-hit wonders. Mm. I mean, I've heard people call Limp Biscuit a one-hit wonder. Of course, they're not a one-hit wonder. Which like, just, they've had one number one. But I mean, I don't think people just go, "Oh, they're the rolling band, do they?" Not when they've got break stuff and Nookie and the Faith. Go. Like, do you know what I mean? I don't think that. So I think it has to be something that is kind of def- definitively defined by a singular song, mm. even if that song wasn't like the only quote-unquote hit that they had yeah and i think for the most part the most part Ooh. there is one um, i think I can we've guess. got yeah you don't even have to get you know <laughs> um <laughs> you know you're wrong already uh you know like this band that they're about they have to be defined by that one thing so with that in mind uh this is right i think this first one that you picked is definitely right we're going to go in some sort of chronological order but sam's first pick is Pastor Ducci by Musical Youth, released on the 17th of September 1982. This is the major label debut single from the UK Jamaican reggae band, taken from their debut album, The Youth of Today. It reached number one on the UK singles chart, went top 10 in the US, sold half a million copies in the UK. Um, Sam, Pastor Ducci, go on. What are you saying? Just, just a brilliant lovely warm song isn't it it's just it's a really nice it's just a really nice song it's playful it's yeah probably a novelty hit which i think you could say for definitely two of my picks um but that i don't know the soft calypso the sort of reggae feel to it and it's all very very easy and palatable you know it's the it's the easy listening equivalent of well basically the entirety of reggae kind of culture isn't it um Mm. i just think it's hard not to get swept up in the kind of now kitsch novelty of it i can imagine if you were like a proper punk back in 82 when this came out, this would have been the absolute 
the end of civilization as you knew it. This would have been horrible. But for me, I first heard this, as I think I told you the other day, I used to have this like little, I don't really remember what it was, but it was a kind of animatronic rodent of some sort, dressed as a very offensive Rastafarian. <laughs> and you'd press a button and it would sing the chorus of Pass the Duchy. That was when I was about two or three years old. Um, probably a horrendous toy. You wouldn't want it about these days but it was like was it Rasta was it Rasta Mouse I'm not that young no it wasn't Rasta Mouse it was more like <laughs> more like a gerbil or something like that I can't remember right. it was some sort some sort of household pet straight rodent dressed as oh. stereotype Rastafarian and I used to love the chorus to this song and yeah when I was thinking about one hit ones I was like uh, uh, it, it popped into my head while I was doing sort of vague scanning about one hit wonders and what defines them and what people consider to be them and I was like oh past the duchy I didn't even know the name of the band until this week, till we decided to do this. I didn't know who Musical Youth were. So I think if we're talking about a band that are epitomised by a single song, absolutely fits the bill, doesn't it? Um, did think there was some interesting sort of background information on it. Um, basically, the group put together by their dads, which I thought, hmm, not sure I feel about that. That's uh, It's not the best, is it? Cough, cough, the Jackson 5. Doesn't usually end brilliantly for everyone involved, I find. Um, no, but you know, it's not always bad. I mean, Hanson seem all right, don't they? Mm, bop. Yes, they do. Hanson or handsome? Because <laughs> I know you <laughs> love handsome. I love handsome. Yeah, but Hanson feel like they're perfectly fine people. They don't seem like they've gone mad or anything. Like a lot of these sort of groups, child stars. No, often tend to do. I mean, that's I don't know if Hanson were put together by their dad. Hanson's dad. <laughs> I mean, it is Hanson's dad, isn't it? Hans- Hanson will have a dad. Well, they will have a dad. That is certain. Yeah, almost yeah. certain. Unless they're like Macbeth and they're just you know not bored of this earth, kind of manifested, or like um, Jesus Christ, or Arnold Schwarzenegger in Twins, or Anakin Skywalker in the Star Wars okay. films. Did he not have a dad? I don't want to talk about Star Wars, fuck me. Why not? I don't want to talk about Star Wars. <laughs> oh, nanu, nanu. <God>. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, to be to be fair to the members of Musical Youth, um, they don't seem to have gone off the rails. I think they have sort of taken taken their licks as it comes. I found an um, interview uh, with Michael Grant from a 2012 interview for the East London and West Essex Guardian series which seems to be a publication that doesn't exist or has been renamed as into something else. It's like, it's quite oh. a, it's a mouthful of a title. So <laughs> it is, yeah. we'll leave that one. But he um, sort of summarized the band's career as there were, uh, the highs were extremely high. The lows were very low. Did we understand it all? Not really. Because, you know, they were teenagers when this song became an absolute, you know, juggernaut of kind of pop sensation in a few countries. Um and said, but I don't want to make it sound like it was all a sad story because at the end of the day, we're still here, still performing and still having fun. And it's like, oh, it's a nice, sweet ending to the tale. He did also, in a different interview in the same year with Designer Magazine, um, say of Pete Waterman's involvement, you know, Stock Aitken and Waterman. Oh, no, I didn't know Pete Waterman involved. He was, mate. He produced it. He oh. was a producer, but uh, the members of Musical Youth uh, are quite happy to discredit his involvement, actually. They say, I don't see Pete Waterman as a great songwriter myself. If you actually said, go on the piano and construct one of your songs for me, he'd be stumped. What key is it in, Pete? You know what I mean? Real songwriters know the creation of a song, which I think is bold words, but Pete Waterman seems like such a bell, and I'm quite happy to just take Musical Youth's word for that. 
Pete Waterman's an idiot. Yeah. I'm not giving him any. What does Pete Waterman know about reggae? I mean, the thing about this song as well, I I, I very much enjoy this song. Yeah. What you were saying about the kind of pop, I mean, it predates the pop reggae revival that happened in the early 90s with, you know, Shabba Ranks and uh, Chuckademus and Pliers and Bitty McLean and, um, you know, Paco Banton and all of those people that you clearly don't remember at all because you're looking at me like I've just started speaking sort of Arabic at you. Yeah, I just know all those names because you tweet about them. Yeah, I do. I do. Um, <laughs> I should have picked Shy Guy by Dinah King for this, really, but I thought you've already picked a reggae song, so I'm not going uh, to double up on reggae. Fair. But that's the best one. That is the best one. Um, but Don Letts directed the video. You know, Don Letts is an incredibly, uh, you know, well thought of, well respected member of the reggae and punk rock and just music community here in the United Kingdom. And, you know, he directed the video. So I don't think he had any problem with, you know, what would be a kind of youthful. You know, a youthful take on Pass the Coochie mm. by the Mighty Diamonds, which is obviously about that uh, drugs. cannabis use. Yeah. And they changed it past the Duchy, which is a, a kind of Jamaican patois for a, a type of cooking pot. Mm. Again, it's so, all very you know, playful like the piece, and friendly. Like, yeah, I like it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really I really like this song. I think it's really good. Mm. Um, it's a lot of fun and it's nice. I can't imagine. Like, it's nowhere. It's not my... F- nowhere do I ever... I never kind of put this on. But if it were to come on, I'd be like, ah, Pastor Ducci, yeah. my musical youth. Wicked. I, I f- what a cool little song. feel exactly the same. I'm not going to be sticking this on some sort of playlist. But yeah, if it's on when I'm out and about, in the clubs, as I always am, the clubs that play 1980s yeah. kind of Calypso revival music. I'll have a great time. <laughs> yeah, kids. Um, they did have another song go top 10 in the UK in 1983. Mm. Uh, it reached number six. It's called Never Going to Give You Up. But I think Rick Astley has now I think nabbed he's that. cornered the market on that one, hasn't he? He's cornered yeah. the market on that. So I think we can let them off and actually say that, yes, they are very definitely a one-hit wonder yeah. due to that fact. It'd be interesting to know, were it not for Rick Astley, would I still be saying the same thing? Well, we uh, truly mm. the darkest timeline. I'm gonna let I'm gonna leave that question hanging in the air, um, right. for all of you to ponder. Write your answers on a postcard. <laughs> send it in. Send them to PO Box. <laughs> at, uh, oh my god, I nearly said it. Rolf's Cartoon Club. Then fuck <laughs> me. That is not only not only just something from the eighties, just plucked from my brain. Something very very inappropriate from the eighties, massively plucked so. from my brain. Don't send anything to Rolf's Cartoon Club. Um, send is it alive. Uh, yeah, I think so. Let's check in with him. How is he? Old Rolf. Mm, no. Anyway, if you're going to send it to a PO Box, PO Box, That's care it. of the Greek Sphinx. save steve i have picked uh we don't have to take our clothes off by jermaine stewart Mm. the lead single from the u.s single jermaine stewart's 1986 album frantic romance it was released on the 27th of may 1986 it reached number two on the uk singles chart it reached number seven on the u.s billboard top 200 um it is not and i'm saying this to cover my back for the next one really He's not really a one-hit wonder. So a few years later, Jermaine Stewart would have another pretty big hit with Say It Again, which made number seven in the UK. But that was only a hit in the UK Mm. and was not a hit in the United States of America. So it still stands. Now, do you want a funny little extra bit of personal something for for this uh, this song, Sam? Because we'll talk about how great a song this is. How great a song this is. So... Um, about a year and a bit ago, I went on 
what was it? Uh, it was a second date with my now girlfriend. And we went to, and I, because I'm like, look, go out, go big or go home. Balls out. Balls on the, <laughs> balls I, I on the line, not. Lynn. No, no, well, no, quite the opposite, actually. Um, I was like, I'm going to book a karaoke room. You know, you can get like K-Box, whatever they're called. Karaoke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get that two-person karaoke room, two hours serenade each other. For, two, like, it, for me, if you can survive that, yeah, yeah, then away we go, right? Then you're fine. But I was like, don't worry, I'll start. I'll start. It's my idea. Like, I'm going to have to fucking go up and just do it. And for whatever reason, for whatever reason, because I had this song in my head, because it is such a great song, it just randomly came on one day, and I was like, "This is brilliant." I started with this song, and my girlfriend thought I was sort of going, like, took it as some kind of, I was gonna say red flag, but as a like, by the way, don't worry, I'm not gonna hit on you. We can just have a nice time just singing to each other, a couple of drinks and say goodbye. And then like, so I essentially completely cock blocked myself on my second date, totally accidentally, just because I love this song so much. Well, isn't that one to tell the grandkids? (laughs) I don't think I'm going to be having any grandkids (laughs) if I keep listening to this song, mate. Fucking hell. Um, But yeah, that's that that's that's what happened yeah so i mean i don't really know what that's got to do with making it a um a one-hit wonder but it is you know it is a one-hit wonder um just an absolutely wicked song this has got that thing that all of the great kind of soul pop songs Mm. from the 80s had like that bass and such a great beat and that really kind of super slinky soulful vocal which i actually performed very well in that karaoke room i can imagine you did if you're asking um and you know it's quite a different song than a lot of the ones at the time were about being sexy this is the opposite of being sexy Mm. which i found quite easy to get into the character (laughs) i have to be to be honest but this is an absolute rager what a tune what a tune this is yeah this is a fucking brilliant one i'm happy to say and you may bulk at this. I don't think you will, though. This is the best of the one-hit wonders we're covering. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. This is I think so. fucking Ooh, brilliant. Do I think that? I know what you're yeah, going to counter with, but it. this mm. is better. This is better. This is just a wonderful song. This is, yeah, definitely the definition of a one-hit wonder. I didn't, again, a bit like Musical Youth, I didn't even know who did this song, but I just know this song. And, you know, if someone's, I don't know, if ever I was in some strangely engineered situation where it was like, I don't know, gotta go swimming in that river oh don't worry don't have to take our clothes off i would obviously instantly counter with na 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 oh it's just yeah it's an absolute worldie um this is the one thing i well technically i have made notes for my notes are no notes perfect love this song love it absolutely perfect absolutely brilliant song have you listened to because you know this song is so good that back in the day i just assumed it was michael jackson talk about not knowing who it was i was Mm. like oh it must be michael jackson because it's so great that it must be michael jackson but then when i found out it wasn't i was like oh and i've listened to some of jane main stewart's other music and i have to say he's there's a reason why michael jackson sold 450 (laughs) kajillion records and he sold three you know (laughs) anyway he sold a bit more than three but um yeah but he he didn't sell as many um 
yeah i mean there is a version by a uk girl band called clear that was released in 2005 mm. and made it to number 35 do you remember clear can't say i do i don't i don't no. i don't remember them but i tell you who also covered it two years later and i do remember this person little chris yeah. in 2007 yeah. the late great little chris the big talent from gene simmons rock, rock school. school yes um god rest his soul he was like a one-man sort of busted wasn't he like a sort of warwick davis does busted <laughs> yeah basically yeah. <laughs> <And> he had... <laughs> don't <laughs> speak ill of the dead steve i i've all i got I've, all the respect to little chris but um yeah this this got to number 67 Ooh, on the chart yeah so he actually not only did he not manage to get it as high as jermaine stewart's original he didn't get it anywhere close to clear's version mm. from 2005 which i think feels quite sad really yeah because um i'm just getting clear up oh they're they were made from pop stars the rivals in 2002 good emma beard it's <laughs> called emma beard well you shouldn't laugh at someone's name but that is a bad name for pop star get a stage name surely yeah for emma beard for a female pop star i mean that is <laughs> you're you're not a female pop star in the 2000s you're zz top's mum do you know what i mean like that that is surely i was i was anyway i'm gonna be a bit kinder and say a sort of historical academic at warwick university or something like that but yeah but yeah there I is that I, as well if you if you said to me if you if, if quantum leap was still going and you said to me oh you can be see tops you can be a, 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 an academic at warwick university or zz tops mum i'd be zz tops mum would you yeah all right big time fair definitely maybe this definitely. should be the new snog marry avoid which 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 band do you want to parent? Which, which Emma Beard would you want to be? <laughs> it's got legs, I'll tell you. <laughs> uh, um, not long legs. No, a bit like Little Chris. Oh, um, we don't have to take our clothes off. By Jermaine Stewart is definitely a one-hit wonder for me, and is a fucking brilliant song. Mm -hmm. Backed makes me go. You shouldn't be a one-hit wonder because. He's got he's got a lot of songs. To be fair to Jermaine Stewart, he's ended up like 1992. He ended up um, releasing his final single, um, and in 1990 he got to number 95 on the UK singles charts in 1990 with "Every Woman Wants to." Um, but they don't, don't have to. to. That's the point. So. Uh, but they don't. But they don't have to. Um, yeah, but I mean, he didn't. You know, you know, get lucky. Got to number 13 in 1988. Set again, as I said, got to number seven. But it's so weird that the follow-up, two follow-up singles from Frantic Romantic after such a massive, massive hit, like we don't have to take our clothes off, Jody and Don't Ever Leave Me, one got to 50, one got to 76. What? How does that happen? You would think it would just get high on the basis of it being like, oh, there's the guy who did, mm. we don't have to take our clothes off. You, you didn't happen. You don't think the drop-off would be that significant that quickly, would it? Like, as you say, mm. you, you'd think this, this follow-up single to a number one single or whatever would be... May if it's really not very good, maybe the high or high teens or something. But yeah, to go down to fifty, yeah, yeah. how perplexed seventy six, mad, really, really weird. Anyway, fair play to Jermaine Stewart. He has cracked pop culture with that all time banger. Right, Sam's next pick. 
comes from the Spin Doctors. It's two princes released in 1993. I don't have an exact date for it. This is the second single and second best single from the Spin Doctors debut album, A Pocket Full of Kryptonite. Reached number three on the UK singles chart. Went gold. Sold 400,000 copies. But is this really a one-hit wonder artist? I am saying no. The first single from this album, Little Miss Can't Be Wrong, my favourite song of theirs. It's not a particularly high bar, I have to say. But it is <laughs> my favourite song yeah. of theirs. <laughs> uh, hit number 23 on the UK singles chart. Not massive, but it come first. And that song went to number two in America. Jimmy Olsen's Blues and Cleopatra's Cat, which came from the follow-up album Turn Upside Down in 1994, also went top 40 here in the UK. Now look, I know this is their most well-known song, but for me, the Spin Doctors cannot be considered... A true one-hit wonder band. Do you not think I that they refute this? Do you not think that their entire career? This is the albatross of their career. This is the song that does define them, which I think we have established is basically what counts for a one-hit wonder. Because they're not—they're not Faith No More, are they, mate? It's not like they've got seven thousand massive hits that people who just weren't paying attention don't know. I mean, Pocket Full of Kryptonite, yeah, had a few singles off it, all did moderately well. But, I mean, this one, you know, the enduring legacy of this one, this was number 18 all time in the US mainstream top 40, which ran from 1992 to 2017. Can't say that about the other one, Little Miss Whatever. Little Miss Whatever. The disrespect nah. for well, Little Miss Can't Be Wrong. To be fair, I don't respect this band, though, because I think <laughs> I think this, this song is it's pretty good. You know, it's a feel-good song. It's just a kind of, like, slightly naff, not like alt pop well not even alt it's pop rock song isn't it um, yeah I do think Mark White's bass is really really good on it I think um, Eric Shankman's riff's alright Aaron Comess his drumming's great when it all drops out and it's just him and unfortunately you a- Chris Barron yeah but you're about to get to yeah, yeah that, that's the <laughs> butt yeah yeah that percussion well it's just the percussion and the vocals I mean that is built for massive venues for everyone to sway along to and go oh the 90s weren't they good weren't they good eh? as as a little aside i did look up when their most recent show was which was october the first as of the time of recording and they played the abacoa amphitheater 2022 yeah as we record that's like a few days a week ago, ago. yeah well, it was a week today actually yeah um they played the abacoa amphitheater in jupiter florida which has a maximum capacity of 20,000 people. But it also has a room that holds 500, and I'd imagine they went for that one. Well, we don't know, do we? I think we can probably guess. We can guess. Yeah. We'd, we'd be right if we did guess as well. Yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, it's, it, yeah. I, I think this is a good, fun song. It's enjoyable. Good old riff. Come on, just enjoy it. And then you've got Chris Barron being quite, I don't know, uninspired and quite <laughs> <insipid>. <laughs> You just love scat, don't you? We'll get to your next pick. Yeah. I mean, that's sensible compared to what your next pick Ooh. is. But um, You're, you're going to be eating <laughs> your words soon, sir, when I turn on I the know, war right? works. But uh, yeah, Chris, I mean, look, Chris Barron, yeah. rubbish. But it's brilliant. It's so much fun because it's attainable. It's a song that anyone can sing along to, much like what are your following picks that anyone can sing along to because the vocal performance is so bland anyone can get into it and that is why it's a good song and it is their enduring classic song classic obviously is a very strong word it is the song that defines them i'm having them as a one-hit wonder if your only if your only comeback is 
what is it? Little Miss Sunshine. Little Miss Can't Be Wrong. Little Miss Can't Be Wrong. Little I don't miss, know. Little Miss, Little Miss Can't Be Wrong. Then I'm gonna wonder what the sound sim and I'm beat on pop and roll song. Wee boop boop. Oh, Little Miss Can't Be Wrong now. I'm gonna go and do that a one. vox pop on the streets of Leicester and say to everyone, "What do you think about Little Miss Can't Be Wrong?" And they go, "What?" And I say, two princes." They'll be, "What?" But you know, they will They'll go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. They all love it round here. All of them. Look, look. The thing is, is this is this is our our our, our age gap showing right anyone who is my age or older or a little bit younger will go oh yeah little miss can't be wrong yeah i remember that oh yeah jimmy olsen's blues i remember that don't really remember cleopatra's cat that is fucking rubbish that song absolutely rubbish <laughs> That's a dreadful and they title. lost their they lost the plot right so basically spin doctors they are this you know two princes is that so, is, is this and if you want to call me a bit like all that that's what they are right beep, beep. Yeah, i get it you know this is the song that this is their most famous song absolutely absolutely it is and they got apparently they got so like miffed at being thought of as this like band that they just you wait until we get to the next one. Um, <laughs> you think this is bad? This is just, this oh, is just a warm fuck up. Off. This is just a kickabout um, before the actual game when we get to the no. Um They got so annoyed. They were like, right, no, we're going to go away and we're going to write this massive conceptual jazz odyssey record. And they did. And that's what they did. And they, they their career massively dropped off a cliff. Mm. Right now, they are not a good band i mean they are the epitome i think of that oh we're sort of alternative so we're going to get signed to a major label in the aftermath of Nevermind because look we're wearing tie-dye shorts and we've got goatee beards and we've got a silly like woolly hat on and we look a bit we kind of look like crap and we're not nirvana and we'll just do what you get what we get told to do and i think that's what they thought they were going to be and then so then they turned around and went no actually we're proper artists it's like lads come on just write these sort of silly little funk rock or alt, alt funk rock numbers that's what you should be doing really. yeah um is this a good song oh, i bought this on seven inch single on vice i had it on vinyl i don't think it's actually that good a song i think that's the problem with it as well for me is that i i find it really annoying now i feel like i used to think like what's up by four non blondes was really good and now mm. i just find it hugely annoying and i don't actually think that it's that great. Do I sing along to it when it comes on? Yeah, of course I do. Mm. Every single time. And I suppose that, I suppose it works because of that. But I don't really have any sort of, I don't have any kind of strong feeling towards it. No. I, I actually do quite like, if I'm going to pick a Spin Doctor song, I actually don't mind. I actually, I actually don't mind Little Miss Can't Be Wrong. I actually don't mind it. I think it's quite good. And I think anyone of my age who remembers this will go, oh yeah, they're not as successful. You know, obviously it's not as big as Two Princes, but I do definitely remember that song. Definitely. And we all remember Pocket Full of Kryptonite being a big album. I mean, that's the thing as well. Who remembers what the Musical Youth album was called? No one. Who remembers uh, Jermaine Stewart's album? Well, yeah, but I just read that out to you, haven't I? Yeah. And you've been doing research on it. Yeah, but like, I... Go, fucking Vox spot that around Leicester. Vox pop that around Leicester. You're getting more people going, I know Little Miss Can't Be Wrong. Then you go, here's two questions. Do you remember Little Miss Can't Be Wrong? Most people will probably go, well, no, not really. But a few will go, yeah, 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 of course. Every single person, unless you bump into Don Letts, <laughs> no one's going, oh, I remember the name of the Musical Youth album. No one. No one. Right? And no one remembers the Jermaine Stewart album either. They just remember those songs. But people do go, oh yeah, Pocket Full of Kryptonite. That was a big album that was in the charts and there were a few hit singles from it. The big one mainly being Two Princes. Mm. 
so you know i think you're just uh you're just showing your age sam just a stupid young idiot like all young people <laughs> just a young it's pathetic young another another pathetic young person grow up just grow up uh i will say just to round out um and kind of move away from that frightening <laughs> display of abuse yes absolutely um is it a good song i i don't know that it is actually any good i enjoy it i couldn't probably stand up for it kind of in terms of any kind of artistic merit certainly but critically divisive simultaneously number 41 in vh1's 100 greatest songs of the 90s which i mean vh1 yeah not a great list because it's one place above shine by collective soul and one below i want to uh, you you will probably know this i don't know it and i don't want to listen to it based on its title color me bads i want to sex you up Oh, I want to sex you up. That's better than all this. All night. Oh, dear. You make me feel so good. Yeah. On the other hand. I, I want to sex you up by Colour Me Bad is on the soundtrack to the film New Jack City, which has got Wesley Snipes in and, uh, and Chris Rock as well. It's a good film. Fact of the day for you. Enjoy that. Got plenty more of them. <laughs> is plenty that, more. that your trick? Knowledge. Yeah, it's not a trick, is it? But simultaneously, ranked number 21 on Blender Magazine's also ridiculously poor list of the 50 worst songs ever. It's placed one place above Dancing on the Ceiling by Lionel Richie. Oh, pathetic to have that in there. That's ridiculous. Pathetic. A list that also included Rolling by Limp Bizkit at number four, the fourth worst Ugh. song ever, apparently. Have they not heard Ugh. anything off any of Limp Bizkit's later albums? Obviously not. And then they say that the worst song of all time is We Built the City by Starship, which it's not a great song, but is it the worst song ever? No. But it's all right. Yeah, it's, it's all right. right. It's, all right. it's not great, but it's like it's it's far from being the worst song of all time. So everyone's wrong. Called, used to work with someone called Nick Zwicky. Right. And we used to say, We built Nick Zwicky. I'm sure he loved we it. We built Nick Zwicky with cock and balls. <laughs> I can see so why you that used alone, to work with him. He uh, <laughs> was, was found swinging from his <laughs> banister. He <laughs> loved morning. it. Okay, good, good. I should hope so. I'm glad there's a, a happy ending to that story. We did build, whoever built Nick Zwick, he did build him from cock and balls. That is, so it's accurate. Biologically accurate. And that's the best thing it about is. comedy is getting it factually correct. Absolutely factually yeah. correct, yeah. Anyway, look, two princes, spin doctors, uh yeah you know i'm drawn on it i don't want to argue about it too much because i don't think it's uh, it does what it's meant to do this song yeah do you know what i mean like i don't want to get too snobby about it because it does what it's meant to do it makes you go and it was one of those kind of you know mid early to mid 90s american pop rock rock radio kind of big hitter things and if it comes on now everyone sort of likes it and i can imagine people who would like buy that record and then go people someone would go oh you should listen to the Oh, the red hot chili peppers oh i will and then they like that and then they get the food fighters and then they get you know next thing you know they're buying uh anthems for the work linen dust <laughs> by emperor it could happen it could happen spin doctors uh, a gateway sorry. to an al nathrak <laughs> yeah definitely Famously. yeah uh so let's move on let's move on to something which is absolutely unquestionably 
a one-hit wonder mm. and brilliant as well. I've picked Yes by McCalmont and Butler, the debut single from vocalist David McCalmont and former suede guitarist Bernard Butler. McCalmont met Butler at the Jazz Cafe in London and they got on very well and he presented him the initial workings of this song, the kind of skeletal idea of this song, which Butler went away and... Um, did all of the stuff that needed to be done to turn it into what it is today, put all the kind of accoutrements into it. And um, it ended up being their debut single, released as a standalone single on the 15th of May, 1995, reaching number eight on the UK singles chart and selling 140,000 copies. In 2014, uh, the NME ranked it as number 174 in their list of the 500 best songs ever made it was actually only meant to be a one-off single but the success of this song encouraged a pair of them to do more stuff together they never really topped this the album the sound of McCalmont and butler reached number 33 on the uk album chart there's only one other single from the record you do which was uh managed to hit the top 20 in the uk which is number 17 they only made one other album which came out seven years later in 2002 called bring it back which um, did all right in the chart, but you know never really recaptured the same sort of commercial success as this song did. Um, I have spoken about this song or referenced this song in reference to a lot of great Britpop stuff over the years, but this is the first time we've ever really properly spoken about it. Mm. Sam, what are your thoughts on this song now I've explicitly made you listen to it? It is not a song that I would willingly go back to often. I think would be the best really? way to start this discussion. So, I think McCalmont's voice on it is brilliant. Oh, amazing. I think it's wonderful. I love the kind of soulful reverie and almost borderline kind of daft sort of worthiness of it. Because lyrically, I think it's, it can be read as quite a bitter song because it's about the fallout of their previous acts, I, is how I interpreted it. And I like that there's, uh, I don't know, almost a sense of like, oh, no, we're on to the start of a sort of glittering career renaissance here. Not necessarily as McCalmon and Butler, but like, oh, this this could be a pathway to bigger and brighter things. And I do actually quite like that. I think in amongst the bitterness, there's not loads of arrogance at the same time. I think the performance is weirdly po-faced to the point where it's kind of like, oh, oh, no, oh, go on. No, well done, Mr. McCalmon. Good for you. Musically... Um, the Phil Spector kind of wall of soundness of the strings that I would say are probably deliberately poorly produced as opposed to cheaply produced, and the flute that comes in in the second verse. Nah, this is this is the '90s sort of Brit music that I don't like musically. Are you are you fucking kidding me? I'm not. I'm absolutely livid. You don't like the music? Not really. It's very, very fucking twee. I, <laughs> I've, I've never I seen you actually lost for words. This is mental. I'm I sorry. don't know I, what to I, say I about that. Apologize. You, I, I'm like my sticking point with this song Go for years. Because when I first heard it, I was like, "It's a lot in it. Mm. That is a lot." Like particularly from the stuff you know. This is so. This came out in 1995, and at this point. I was definitely fully, fully embraced uh, and in, in in kind of in love with rock music, Brit rock, Brit pop. 
grunge alternative music funk rock whatever right mm-hmm. so i would have been almost in- exclusively listening to oasis blur pulp foo fighters chili peppers nirvana pearl jam green day offspring and just starting to get into metal a bit do you mm. know what i mean because this is sort of yeah the kind of early part of 1995 so i'd have started probably listening to a bit of metallica listening to maybe like a bit of white zombie mm-hmm. probably having heard corn rage against the machine um and then like silver chair stone temple pilots bush all those other bands everclear all those bands um and then i really like shit like supergrass and this is prior to the uh the arrival of everything must go by the manic street preachers which is an absolutely huge 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 record for me mm. uh radio as well you know the bends i would have been fucking obsessed with the bends around this period I've been absolutely would have been obsessed with it um and so this is a far prettier song than anything that i've just mentioned basically mm. basically anything that i mentioned this is a much much prettier song of it and i think david mccallum's voice which now I listen to and I think is like spine tingling, incredible, mm. absolutely world class performance. Um, I was just like, it's a little bit too effeminate for the type of thing I'm listening to. When you listen to Zach Delarosha or James Hetfield, yeah, do you know what I mean, or even Damon Albarn, to be fair, who was giving it like, you know, like girls are like, like you know, this yeah. is whereas this is it's like you say, it's really kind of ethereal, bombastic, OTT um soaring vocal performance but i always loved the you know that big band phil specter mm. sound to it i always thought it was amazing now now that i kind of i'm just you know like i like people's voices for whatever their voices are i just can't see i cannot see a chink in the armor of this song i cannot see anything wrong with it at all this to me is as perfect as songwriting and performance and composition and production gets i i honestly cannot even begin to understand anyone's reservation to a molecule of this song i do not understand for for me there is something about that wall of sound production that i don't think suits this song and it is a you know bombastic maximalist song and i think compositionally yeah it's great it is you know, the song itself is brilliant. It's just the sound of it is a bit of a barrier for me. And it's weird because, you know, co-produced do you like by... Everything must, do you like Everything Must Go by Manage Street Breaches? So I was going to say, yes, I do. Okay. Because Mike Hedges, co-producer on this, obviously worked with mm-hmm. The Cure, Susie and the Banshees, Mannix. Great CV. Can't help but wonder, was it um, Butler's involvement in the co-production that is maybe, I don't know, he's flipped a certain switch somewhere on the on the mixing desk that has just made it says sam this is not for sam slight in you know 20 what 20 years time or whatever i don't know i don't know but i don't know there's something about it i just don't feel that the the kind of i don't know i guess the overwhelming production for me doesn't i don't think it highlights the best of the composition of this song but i do think mccallmont sounds fucking brilliant on it I don't get me wrong. I don't dislike this song at all. I think this is a really good song. Don't think it's as good as we don't have to take our clothes off. That would be my top pick of the one hit wonders we're doing. But this is this is a second, definitely. This is easily second. I think this is the best song, 
but I do think like I like I I love we don't have to take our clothes off and I think it's more f- we don't have to take our clothes off is more fun yeah definitely but this is I mean again like this is I think this is a really classy song mm. a really brilliantly wonderfully classy song and I think it's interesting because in the years since I have gone and listened to the sound of McCallum and Butler and there's something about the album that doesn't that everything you've just said about it um about this song i think is true of the album right so i think the album is very average okay and i can see why they're a one-hit wonder and they only picked one other single for it and i think it does feel like they had you know like david mccallman um had you know these uh these these lyrics um and bernard butler had this idea for a song in his head and the two kind of came together at exactly the right time to talk about exactly the right thing so obviously like you know um uh the the the, the leaving swayed in quite an acrimonious way mm. that was very very you know um played out in the press quite you know quite heavily with bernard butler um it felt like this song was just something that the two of them maybe just needed to really really get off their chest and i think it it does it brilliantly and then the sound of accountant butler it's not really quite so good mm. i don't think like i mean it's not as, to be fair it's not as good um it's just not as good and it feels like those things were kind of oh we've had this big hit so we should probably carry on writing songs together shall we do that is that what we're gonna do and they do and it doesn't quite sort of pop in the same way mm. um i am like legitimately blown away that you don't think this is 10 out of 10 brilliant and i'd say it to anyone not just you i would say it to any of you if any of you are listening here i'm sh- i'm sure some people in their 40s <laughs> will back me up on this that this hour that this song sure is brilliant because it is like you know like 500 greatest songs of all time in the nme number 174 think of how many songs there are in the entire world i mean to get into the top 500 at all but that's high that's the top half of the best songs ever made ever according to the enemy and i'm not saying like oh you must trust the enemy and every single thing that they ever say but i do think they've got that like i think that you know i think that's i I look at that and i go yeah i can see that you know sometimes when you see something that's really really high on one of those lists and you go oh that seems quite high or what's that doing there do you know what i mean like i remember when um dancing on my own by robin was in like the top 20 in the rolling stone list of the best songs ever a year or so ago right. and people were like really that that is high and i did look at it and go that does seem quite high like i can see why it's there for the people that it's there for but that does seem quite high i don't feel like that about this at all i think if someone said to me i think this is my that's my favorite song i think it's the best song ever made i'd go oh, okay cool fair play fair play i i have to respectfully disagree fair enough well um next one's better (laughs) (laughs) yeah mccallum butler yes i mean it's absolutely a one-hit wonder but what a wondrous one-hit wonder and uh shame on you sam sorry luckily you've redeemed yourself by picking scatman by scatman john or to give it its full title scatman open brackets ski ba bop ba dot bop close brackets um the debut single from the American musician John Paul Larkin or the Scat Man to you and I. Mm. He used to have a stutter and then he did some jazz scatting and it went away. What an inspiring story. So this was released on the 30th of November 1994. Reached number three on the UK singles chart before going on to be the 30th, 
best-selling single of 1995 here in the United Kingdom, selling 400,000 copies, went to number one in Austria, Ireland, Belgium, Canada, Denmark, France, Finland, Greece, Norway, Spain, and Switzerland, and sold half a million copies in Germany alone. Wowzers. Uh, before we started recording, I tried to find the album that I own, <laughs> the Scatman album. Uh, I couldn't find it. Very, very annoying. Um, because obviously Scatman's World, the follow-up single to this, you know, that's that's just as big, isn't it? Surely. <laughs> that actually <laughs> that actually got went top 10 in the UK. I mean, it didn't went do number, yeah. went, It went to number one in a whole bunch of other places as well. But yes, obviously, when we're talking one-hit wonders, this is one of the big, big, big ones, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is... I think this is probably the first one that came to mind for me. This is like the absolute bullseye. It's just like a song that entirely defines a a, sing, a, a creative's career. I mean, Scatman, Skiba Bop, but Dop Bop. I, I can't think of another another song that so perfectly encapsulates everything this person would be remembered for. Um, and I think it's a fucking great song. You know, this came out when I was seven months old. And apparently, I absolutely loved it back then, and I still love it now. And I love it because it has got an inspiring message. Everybody stutters in a way or another. If the Scatman can do it, so can you. Perseverance. He got there before Hatebreed. That's what Scatman John's <laughs> yeah. done. He's like the original Jamie Jaster, isn't it? In a lot of ways, <laughs> the old Scatman. <laughs> in many yeah. ways. Yeah, yeah. It, it is nice. It's a nice story. I mean, like, you know, he's an older guy yeah. who's been doing things for years. He gets this massive, ridiculous hit single which is so fucking weird. I mean, I listened to it and I haven't listened to it for a few years. And obviously I have listened to this song a lot. Like it was massive when it came out, you know, I was 14 and I was not really into this sort of thing at this point. Although <laughs> you weren't into scatting Eurodance. I kind of did still like all, you know, like set you free and you should do by strike and rhythm of the night and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Like, I, I did like all that stuff. I did actually like all this stuff, but this felt like, you know, this is pre Macarena. Do you know what I mean? This is like, this kind of predates Macarena. Did it come out before Rednecks, Cotton Eye Joe? I'm not sure. Look, you know, look, the 90s was the time for the most absurd novelty one-hit wonder things. And there's nothing more absurd, I don't think. I think it could be the most absurd out of all of them. Like, Dupe was another one that was pretty fucking stupid as well. But this really is... I just want to hear him scat, really. Like, the song's rubbish. Now, come on, man. The song's rubbish. But... I just want to hear him scat. What's your favourite scatting bit in it? Scat <laughs> the beginning, obviously. Yeah. I like skim dum 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 I'm the scat man. Where's the scat man? Shut by that like if you can if you can do that, fair play to you. It's a, that is a skill. It is a skill. This is a particularly necessary skill. But that, to me, it is actually a skill. Him being able to do that, I can't do that. No. As I've just proven, you can't do that. I you definitely, definitely can't, can't do, that. do it, no. Yeah. I'm the worst. Um, uh, I wouldn't say you're the worst. I've heard worse people try I'm and do fair. it than that before, but much worse. <laughs> and, yeah, you know, everybody starts one way or the other to so check out my message to you. As a matter of fact, don't let nothing hold you back. If the scatman can do it, brother, so can you. Inspirational. So it, it is... It is inspirational. It is inspirational. Um, he's a funny looking little man as well. I used to tell people, and people believe me, and I think I I, I, I heard something on the radio about him, and I just ran with it. Uh, I heard that he used to do voices for Disney. He used to work for Disney. Right. So I said... <laughs> so, so, I, so I told everyone that he was the voice of... Um, he was the voice of King Louis in The Jungle Book. <laughs> 
Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, that was Louis Prima. Yeah. Louis Prima is actually quite famous. <laughs> Louis, <laughs> Louis Prima is actually quite a famous musician uh, who actually died in 1978 as well. So... No respect for the dead, Steve. That's your problem. <laughs> no, no That's three now. Dead. That's three this week. So I used to tell people that he did the voice of King Louis. Now, of course, he was in his 50s in 1994. Mm. So if you'd have gone back 25 years, he would have been like in his mid <laughs> he would have been his mid twenties when they were making the jungle book and he wouldn't have been able to do that voice. So it was clearly not true. But for years I and, and it, I got into my mid twenties, like going to people, did you know that Scatman did the voice of King Louis? And people were going, Really? Did he? I go, Yeah, yeah, he did, yeah. And it, I said it so much that I believed it until one day <laughs> someone I worked with went, No, Louis Prima, who died in nineteen seventy eight, did that. Stop lying. That is a lie. That's a complete lie. And I just went Oh, I better stop saying that now. But I brought it back. I brought it back 15 years later, just for the just for the bants. Um, uh, is 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 he a one-hit wonder? I mean, he kind of has to be, doesn't he? Yeah, uh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I did look up um what what his last, well, his highest final chart position was, which was uh, number 46 in Germany for the 1996 single "Everybody Jam!" Exclamation mark. That was his last single that charted, and it's like, I mean. Well, his last album ended up, you know, was released posthumously, but it came out in 2001. So, you know, he, mm. he was in the doldrums for a little while. But um, He's like Tupac, isn't he? Yeah, he just like Tupac. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just like Tupac. <laughs> the, al- <laughs> the album didn't chart in the UK, unfortunately. Didn't need to. I paid, I tried to find the album, because I've got it on CD somewhere upstairs. I have. I've definitely, I found it in a charity shop in about 2011. I found it in a charity shop and I bought it for a pound. I thought, fuck it, take, take a punt on that. Welcome to Scatland is the opening song, Scatman's World. So Scatman's World is more scatting in it. Like, bubble, baby, bubbly, bubble, baby, bubbly, bubble, baby. We're going into Scatland. Oh, we're gosh. going into Scatman's World. If you want to be free, you better listen to me. So, I mean, I'm suddenly worried he might be something of a one trick pony, Steve. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and then he's got, there's a song in it called Quiet Desperation, which is about kind of like your, your mental health. It doesn't it doesn't really work. Like Start, started hate breed and mind. Yeah, it's uh, weird. It's really vi- weird that he's visionary. Like he's a song. Of, oh, don't you know? If you're feeling down, if you're feeling Scat. down, then do something about it. Skip a bit. Skip It's really weird. It's a really weird record. He's got a song called High Louis on it, which has got a load of. It's like Louis Armstrong. It's got a load of quite bad, clearly keyboard piano. Um, uh, keyboard sampled uh, parping horns oh, and him gosh, going yes. oh Louis Louis all over it yeah. it's not good man it's not good but fair play to him because Scatman Ski Bop Ski Bop Badop Bop yeah, not even you looking at my notes right for that down. one. I know it. You slow it right down, yeah. you get it right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he's a he's a one it wonder, but what a wonder! What a wonder he is! <laughs> the, truly the best um, of us. Yeah, I tell you what, <laughs> yeah. you, you don't get twist by corn without this song. Prove me wrong. Imagine that world. Prove me wrong. <laughs> yeah. What's that meme of that bloke sat? I think you don't get twist by corn without Scatman John. Prove me wrong. <laughs> Change my mind. Oh, yeah, it? yeah, that Change one. Change my mind. 
good. Yes, very good. I spoke to Jonathan Davis the other day. I should have asked him that. I can't I believe you so didn't. Hugely influenced by Scatman John <laughs> during the recording of Life is Peachy. <laughs> Dear me. <sighs> Uh, all right, good. There you go. That's Scatman John. My final pick and the last one that we're going to talk about today mm. comes from The Automatic. It's Monster, the debut single from the Welsh alternative rock indie garage rock band. I don't really know. They didn't know what they were. Did they released on the 5th of June 2006, the lead single from their album, Not Accepted Anywhere. The single released, uh, reached didn't release, single reached number four in the UK singles chart and sold in 2006. Sold 400,000 copies. That is bloody mental. Um, it got the album to number three on the UK album chart. Some suckers bought it. <laughs> ah, yeah, I bought it. Yeah, yeah, I bought yeah. it. But the follow-up singles, Raul and Recover, only reached number 34 and number 25 respectively now sam you do definitely remember this coming oh, out oh yes because you're old this is your era isn't it yeah mate 2006 yeah, when you'd have been a young lad getting into music and all that yeah. um what are your thoughts on this song well you've saved the worst till last i'll put it that way i think this mm -hmm. song is really really shit what to put it on I was instantly transported back to the, the school canteen in between double geography sessions at the, the city of Norwich School in Norwich. It sounds a lot posher than it is. It's actually quite grotty. It's an academy now, actually, but that's besides the point. And it took me back to all the wankers I went to school with who bullied me for liking, having the audacity to like different music to them because they all liked this shit. All this kind of the, the, the indie bands as we would, well as we may talk about on a upcoming Patreon thing. I'm getting confused with the times now, but the Twilight Side, basically. We didn't listen to them because of that. A lot of shit indie bands at this time. Didn't listen to any of them. Hated them all, just on principle. But I knew this song, obviously, because it was everywhere. And I thought, hmm. Going, well, going back to it, certainly, I thought, well, Robin Hawkins' lead vocals, I think a bit like your man from Spin Doctors, they're quite good in that they're really, really, really bland. So anyone can sing along with them, surely. That's a good, you know, good kind of ingredient for a quite throwaway pop song like this. And I forgot how awful those post-Electric Six histrionic wailing vocals in the background are. I hope whoever that person is, is roundly thrashed the next time the automatic takes the stage because fuck me, it was horrible. It sounds bad. His name is Alex Penny, and he's why I picked this basically. Okay, because he joined the Automatic when they he was part of the, the formation of the band, mm. and provided synthesizers, keyboards, and backing vocals for the band and this this song. He was actually on Nevermind the Buzzcocks. Was he? I I will have he seen was. it to be honest, because I was watching every episode of Nevermind the Buzzcocks when that was about. That would have been the Amstel era, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. He was replaced in the band by Paul Mullen of Your Code Name Is Milo. Mm. Did you know that? No. Didn't know that. Well, he was. Mm. Why would they replace Alex Penny? He's such a big part of the band. Mm. Well, I'll tell you why. Because Alex Penny may well be the worst vocalist in a recorded band in history. Mm. Yeah. His, his backing vocals on this song and just the outer, like, I, you know, I, I bought it. I don't know what I was thinking, but like at this point, yeah. So 2006, they were in Kerrang! And I was like, 
the, the I, I was buying a load of stuff, right? I just would buy the th I'd buy the things. I'd buy all the different things. Buy all the different records from the different bands. I want to get a new band. Blah, 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 blah. Heard this, right? And suddenly this was everywhere. It was bloody everywhere, this song. Yep. And it's one of those ones where you go, oh, this is a bit catchy, but it also sounds a bit like sort of post-hardcore-y stuff that I quite like. And the thing about the automatic is, is I could never work out what they were. I could, are they an indie band? Are they like one of those The Garage bands? Are they one of these new emo bands? Are they like one of those new sort of post-hardcore bands? Are they like a sort of... Are they a, just a straight-up sort of alt-pop band? Like, what the, what are they? What are the automatic? I don't know. They seem to be all of these things, but yet at the same time, it kind of none of them. Mm. Because they weren't really very good at any of them. And Monster, for whatever you think about it, that is a big hook what's that yeah. coming over the hill is, is it a, a monster? monster it's a ch and you know the era of the the ch chant along mm -hmm. stuff and i actually when it's done well i quite miss those big old hooks that a lot of these bands had because i think that is as we were talking last week about the lamb of god album how and it's not just a thing in metal i think sometimes a lot of bands in alternative and guitar music have forgotten to write really really simple but very very catchy memorable hooks to their songs mm -hmm. which means it's harder for them all to kind of cross over in the same way i think which and that, and that is a genuine problem and monster had that and i was like oh I, I'll, I'll just buy the album i'll just buy the album the album's the album's rubbish the album is sure. rubbish it's really really bad and halfway through i remember just going this guy on keyboards what is he doing oh pound he's down oh pound i look so good what are you doing what's that coming over the hill you're out of tune in the bit that doesn't even have to be in tune yeah he's so beyond like he goes beyond out of tune to the point where it's like how can anyone like it feels like that kind of yelping thing felt like it could be a bit sort of do you know what I mean? A bit like out of step, out of time, out yeah. of tune, whatever. And he takes it to just the most exhausting place that it has ever been. Mm. I just, you know, and then Broken Side happened. <laughs> and I can't help feeling that the automatic need to take some sort of responsibility. Because that whole like, that whole like, vocal that seemed to happen and all those sort of myspace bands yep. around 2007 2008 2009 and all that shit i remember being like oh check this new band out and the vocalist would just be somebody going <coughs> it's like have you got a fucking crow on vocals like <laughs> what is that and this bloke this like what 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 the hell is that a monster is that a monster like he's awful yeah. um i find this song fascinating it's aged so so badly yeah so badly i mean it's sad imagine you know if you're 17 18 and you heard this and go, oh, this is what people used to like you'd be like what i mean god little miss can't be wrong sounds like fucking sergeant pepper's lonely arts club band compared to this like, the, the, i've picked this purely because i'm like the difference between weird 90s number one mm. uh, sorry, one hit wonders and the indie 2000s one hit wonders there is a world of quality even scatman which is 
fucking stupid just a stupid stupid song but a beautiful a stupid one artist. but a beautiful one with a very nice sound like you know at least it knows what it is mm. this is rubbish it's this is rubbish it's the delusions of grandeur behind it where you can tell that these people think they're making really kind of worthy incredible stuff and actually they've made a really irritating song with a kind of good channel long hook it was also incredibly incredibly hard to avoid yeah it's been used on lego rock band kinetic sports fifa 8 igor the film i don't know what that is what is that oh it's a bloody it's an animated, animated film, film of some sort yeah cockneys versus zombies oh uh i mean i haven't seen that but you know i mean how good that's gonna be from his title don't you that's a post yeah, yeah. post edgar wright landing in the film world fucking cash grab shite yeah, Slither, um, not Sliver with Sharon Stone, but Slither with Elizabeth Banks. Yeah. Um, it's been used on Torchwood, Doctor Who Confidential, Primeval, Hollyoaks. Well, if it's used on Hollyoaks, I'll take <laughs> it, it all must back. Must be good. Uh, Le Grand Journal. Don't know what that is. Was that a Gaspar Titty... Noé film? Titty Bang Bang, which is a, I mean, uh, uh, a sketch show which was actually written by um, Bob Mortimer, but I uh, don't really remember it being very good, to be honest. No. Uh, Synchronicity, Bones, Serious Ocean, and James May's Toy Story. Right. Not Toy Story. No. Uh, and it was also on... <laughs> the, the lyrics are for the... The, the song were paraphrased in a radio advert for the commercial vehicle leasing company Van Monster <laughs> what's that coming over the hill it is it's Van Monster fucking hell <sighs> yeah Dear so me. it's not even like you could get away from it and I think it became incredibly ubiquitous and still if someone says what's that coming over the hill people will go is it a monster is it a monster wait no uh, not that anyone I mean, ever says that I was going to say I, li- I live in quite a flat city so it's never come up so kind of got all away with that but yeah if they do I'll say uh, if they say what's that coming over the hill I'll go I don't know you should run to those hills just catch them mm. off guard so yeah 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 is this I don't like this song this is worse than Iron Maiden surely though you've got yeah, to give Iron Maiden some credit for once they're not as bad as the automatic don't think I have to give them any credit for it, but yeah, it's not, it's not great, this song. <laughs> no. And they are a proper sort of one-hit wonder. I mean, I'm going to look quickly at their discography, mm. which, um, you know, actually they've got musical style. This will tell us. Electro, disco, punk rock. No. Is what they were categorised as. And they'd be compared to Block Party <laughs> what, and the Kaiser Chiefs. Is the comparison. Block Party are a really good band. The Automatic aren't like them. No. no. Alex Penny... Um, uh, had a go at the enemy for calling them glam rock and then cited their influences Jar Crew, Muse, Blur and the Blood Brothers and Radiohead and Ash. What? I mean, you don't know what you're on about, do you, mate? No. Do not know what you're on about. I haven't got a clue. Absolutely clueless. So they did release um, two more albums. This is a fix in 2008. I do remember that coming out. I remember that coming did out. nothing. Yeah. And Tear the Signs Down, which I don't remember, which came out in 2010. Uh, not good that not good anyway um, yeah Monster by the Automatic absolute like the hellishness of what a one hit wonder can be mm-hmm. absolute hellishness of what a one hit wonder can be um, and that's it that's our little look at a few one hit wonders 
probably do this again, don't you, Sam? See if we uh, get to the bottom of. Well, I don't really feel like we got to the bottom of the, what happened with the automatic. We just sort of went. Oh, remember that? It was rubbish, wasn't it? Yeah. See you later. Anyway, see you later. Um, hope you've enjoyed the show. We'll be back next week, probably talking about Tay Tay. Taylor Ooh, Swift's got a new album. Hell yeah. Going to be chatting about that. You like Tay Tay? Uh, yeah, a little bit. I like, oh, I like the singles. Not, not a day for fun. Find out how much you like that next week. All right, thanks very much for listening, everyone. We'll see you next time. Goodbye. <laughs>